Hello, and welcome to the latest episode of Disrupt Podcast. I'm Tom Jackson. And I'm Gabriella Mulligan. Disrupt Podcast brings you all the latest news from the continent startup ecosystem, plus interviews with special guests. This week, we'll be hearing from Johan Bussini of Corona Capital on his company's investment in Nigerian startup CarryWise and his thoughts on the African fintech space. We'll also hear from Philip Kirikoff, CEO of startup bootcamp AfriTech, as the corporate-backed accelerator returns for another cohort. But first, all the news from the last few weeks. A strong month so far for South Africa's startup ecosystem, led by field sales app and management platform Skynamo. Fresh from a $30 million Series A round raised last year, the company has acquired UK-based mobile field sales technology provider Mseller. The move is aimed at growing its market share in the UK and enhancing its order management functionality for field sales teams. There was further good news for South Africa from a funding perspective. Herex Group, which is striving to increase access to hearing healthcare through smart digital solutions, has completed an $8.3 million Series A fundraise as it bids to expand its reach in the US, while data automation startup Synatic raised a seed round. Startups should also benefit from more access to capital soon, after local VC firm Knife Capital launched a second Section 12J VC fund and also received a $10 million commitment from the Mine Workers Investment Company to its new African Series B expansion fund. E4E Africa, an entrepreneur-led South African VC firm, has also launched its Section 12J offering. In other new fund news, this time from Nigeria, the female-focused angel fund First Check Africa has launched operations, planning to invest up to $25,000 in early-stage startups. Elsewhere in funding, it's been a good few weeks for Egyptian startups. Food discovery and ordering platform Elminus announced an investment from David Butress, the former CEO of global food ordering firm Justine, who will also join the startup's board as it plots aggressive expansion. Odigo, a digital marketplace for automotive spare parts, raised a $600,000 seed funding round, while online logistics and delivery platform Tayari raised a pre-seed investment from AUC Angels, Alex Angels and Cairo Angels. Two prop tech startups also bank cash, Saknin and Iskan. In Kenya, there are rounds for Pula, an insurtech service that works to de-risk African smallholder farmers, and Popote, which tackles financial control problems threatening SMEs. Also on the funding trail were Ghanaian startup AgroCenter, which raised $790,000 in pre-Series A funding, Ugandan energy company Innovex, and Rwandan drone company Charis UAS. Global startup generator Antler has announced pre-seed investments in two startups created during its second program in Nairobi, Kenya last year. And Catalyst Fund announced the eighth cohort of its inclusive fintech accelerator, providing grant funding and support to six fintech solutions from Kenya, Nigeria and South Africa. Fintech startups Mono from Nigeria and Jamo from Ivory Coast were accepted into Silicon Valley-based accelerator Y Combinator's winter 2021 batch, banking $125,000 funding and further support. There have been major developments in Nigerian fintech recently, not all of them good. The futures of dozens of Nigerian startups operating in the crypto space are in doubt after the Central Bank of Nigeria ordered all banks to close any accounts transacting with cryptocurrencies. The Central Bank said banks should work to identify people or entities transacting with cryptocurrency or operating cryptocurrency exchanges on their platforms and ensure that all such accounts are closed immediately. Breaches of the order would face severe regulatory sanctions. It puts the future operations of crypto companies from Binance to Bundle in doubt. Better news from a funding perspective, with Send Finance, a Nigeria-based decentralised finance platform for credit unions and co-ops, has topped up its funding round to $2 million. Meanwhile, CowrieWise, a digital wealth management and financial planning solution, 
raised $3 million in pre-Series A funding to expand its product offering, support the onboarding of more fund managers and build out its investment management infrastructure. Launched in 2017, CowrieWise offers easily accessible, goal-oriented savings and investment products with more competitive performance rates than traditional alternatives. Tom spoke to Johan Bassini of Corona Capital, which led the fundraise to find out more. Johan, welcome to the podcast. Great. Thanks, Tom. Thanks for inviting me. Obviously, the big news from the last couple of weeks was the funding round raised by Calgary Wise. Um, just tell us a bit about the deal and what attracted you to the startup. Yeah, absolutely. So it's, it's a business we've known for a while. It's a category we really like as well. We think that making wealth management available for everyday people in Nigeria is really interesting. Um, we've seen this theme, as I mentioned, across multiple markets. Uh, the business is interesting as well in, in that it really democratizes access to savings and wealth management services for Nigeria's financially underserved low- and middle-income populations. Uh, and this really takes advantage, I guess, of the uh, the huge increase in smartphone adoption as well as internet services in the country. Um, I guess if I had to summarize it into three things, uh, I would say what attracted us is, uh, first, how the company is enabling access for retail investors' participation in a formal and regulated capital market, uh, rather than driving alternative assets that are not regulated. Second is the partnership approach uh, with existing fund managers by leveraging the technology to solve the problem of scale, really. Um, they're not growing, the, they are, sorry, growing the entire industry rather than trying to take uh, take them out of business. And then lastly, the, the real strong emphasis that the business and the founders have on financial education, which we think is key. And this really drives up the understanding and savings of savings and investments for everybody. Um, and uh, all of this in a, in a very large, uh, very interesting market, which is, uh, which is crying out for uh, democratization of access to savings and investments, uh, which, which combined we think is super interesting. What does the future hold for the business now with this funding on board? What are their plans? So it's a, it's a very structured team uh, with a solid roadmap. Uh, the funding is for a variety of things, uh, really expanding on product. Uh, so they have already moved away from savings and investments only into a wallet with a payment uh, capability and payment infrastructure. Uh, it's onboarding additional um, funds and, uh, and savings and, and investment options uh, and really beginning to now market and scale the business through uh, brand awareness, marketing and, on, and customer onboarding. Uh, for the last year, they haven't marketed much at all. Uh, in actual fact, the majority of their growth has been organic, which is a great testament to the quality of the product uh, and, and the interest that people have in finding a, a suitable home rather than having cash in their, uh, in their bank accounts. It's interesting that they're expanding from a product perspective. That seems to be an approach that a lot of fintechs are taking these days, sort of bolting on uh, verticals, so to speak, and moving towards digital bank status. I mean, is, is that what CarrierWise is doing? Is, is that a trend you're seeing as well? Yeah, that's interesting. I think it's a, absolutely a trend we're seeing. A lot of uh, lending businesses are looking at becoming challenger banks. A lot of payments businesses, the same. Um, I wouldn't quite say it's it's in the direction of a challenger bank in this case. Uh, I think it's interesting that it's a business that started its journey with savings and investments rather than credit, which has been a uh, a more common route, I think, uh, in, in some of the markets in Africa. Um, but absolutely, the intent is to become far more meaningful in the eyes of consumers. Uh, they have got a strong focus on data and, and customer behavior analytics, looking at what customers are doing and what they want, and that's how they're designing their products going forward. So Challenger Bank, that's maybe a bit too much of a push, but absolutely looking at uh, product expansion. 
It's, it's part of the reason why it's appealing, appealing to expand from a product perspective, also because of how difficult it is to expand from a geographic perspective, sort of moving into new markets with new regulators, new new customer demands. Yeah, that's another good question. Um, so we have seen many businesses in this space look at expanding geographically before they've become dominant in their home market, uh, especially in Nigeria. And uh, that, that is one strategy which uh, obviously is, is interesting in terms of being able to replicate what you've built in other markets and becoming a pan-African or, or global business. Um, we think that Nigeria is a significant uh, market opportunity, especially for Kari-wise. So going deeper rather than broader uh, makes sense in terms of geographic expansion. Uh, expanding geographically is difficult, uh, as you mentioned. You know, different regulation, different languages. Uh, very often, it's small things you haven't thought of, such as multi-currency systems. Uh, and then, obviously, the reality as well of uh, founders having to spread their time and uh, and travel, which in COVID will be harder. So, so yes, we have seen a, a common theme is expanding geographically. Uh, in this case, we'd love to see um, a, a real deep focus on on enabling a very significant market opportunity and customers in Nigeria. Um, as you know, because you were one of our uh, very kind partners, we just released the African Tech Startups Funding Report 2020 tracking investment into the startup ecosystem last year. Um, that found that 99 fintech startups um, raised money. That's 25% of the, the total number of funded African startups in 2020. Um, and those companies raised over $160 million combined, which is just less than 25% of the African total. Um, so fintech is really sort of strengthening strengthening its hold on on investment coming into the African continent at this moment in time. Um, I suppose my, my basic question is what is so appealing um, to investors about um, the fintech space? And from, from your guys' perspective, as a fintech-focused fund, uh, what do you find so exciting? Yeah, it's so I think a few things. Um, one is uh, COVID has possibly fueled and actually uh, accelerated the interest in this category, uh, where anything around digital financial services becomes incredibly interesting uh, and, and meaningful. Um, in addition to that, you've also got some incredible technology that is coming out of Africa overall, uh, a combination of, of multiple markets that is either becoming very applicable in other countries uh, globally or is beginning to get some real traction. Uh, I, I do think that the venture ecosystem and the startup ecosystem in Africa is still pretty early in comparison to what we see in Latin America and Asia. However, there's evidence that that's really accelerating quickly and uh, will catch up, I think, really fast. So you, I think you do have a few uh, um, investors who are looking to preempt that and not get in too late to really enable this ecosystem. Uh, a few high-profile uh, um, deals, which obviously you'll be well aware of, I think, have also fueled that, uh, whether it be uh, you know, a while ago, Jumia ranging through to uh, to DPO and the acquisition by Network International, through to Paystack and the acquisition by Stripe, uh, and then obviously a variety of others I see today. Fari is now known as a $2 billion company. So in all these main uh, hubs of fintech, there's evidence of success, uh, and uh, I think things are really beginning to accelerate. So uh, the interest is a combination of, uh, of just... Um, uh, Great traction in business models that are proven globally in other emerging markets, uh, as well as COVID, which has made this category even more relevant than it was before. Um, what kind of role are incumbents playing in this space at the moment? Are we seeing more activity um, from, from traditional banks in the startup space? Yes, I, I think you should never underestimate the banks. Um, 
they have a few things that startups wish they had. Uh, licenses is one, um, and balance sheet is another. <laughs> you know, these are significant businesses uh, run by really smart people. And I guess they have some legacy systems. So technology is one challenge. And the other is they are very well regulated. So they can't simply try new things the way more agile younger companies can. Uh, we've seen lots of activity from the banks. Uh, I've uh, seen a lot more collaboration than ever before. They're trying to work with startups and technology companies where potentially together they can be stronger uh, and really uh, enable each other, I guess. Uh, in other cases, you've seen banks and uh, other financial services companies try and launch their own startups. Uh, I saw a term the other day, a corp-up, a corporate startup, where uh, they're beginning to fund their own initiatives. Uh, I guess time will be the best uh, judge of, of whether that strategy will work well. Um, but uh, I, I don't think people should underestimate the banks and uh, what they're up to. Can they truly understand a uh, consumer uh, and provide a product that is just intuitive and, and uh, can delight uh, from a technology standpoint? Uh, that's, that still stands to be seen. I think there's a lot of positives in the space at the moment from an investment perspective, uh, sort of bank startup collaboration perspective. I mean, what challenges uh, are still faced by founders in the fintech sector when it comes to growing their businesses? So I think um, if you had to ask founders, probably the, the one that would come up would be funding. Uh, we still do have quite a thin venture ecosystem across the continent. Um, there is a lot of interest in markets like South Africa, Nigeria, Kenya, Egypt. Uh, other markets still uh, very thin funding ecosystem. Um, so th that has to be one of them. The other one is going to be um, uh, access to talent, especially when they're scaling quickly. Uh, I think there's a undersupply of uh, specific um, uh, qualifications and expertise. Engineering uh, is the one that I keep on hearing about and struggling to find really good engineering capacity and, and capabilities. And the other is data science uh, and uh, you know, if you look at fintech, uh, the real value is actually the data, where companies are able to utilize data in a really uh, um, intelligent way to provide far better products for consumers. Uh, we all have access to the same technology. Uh, it's the specific data that you can harness and how you use that. And I would say the final one being um, the global. What I mean by that is uh, if you are a global investor, and you're looking to deploy capital across multiple markets or all emerging markets, Africa has to compete against the other other markets out there, being Brazil, Mexico, Indonesia, India, et cetera, et cetera. And uh, Africa still remains very fragmented. You know, it is uh, 54 countries. Um, it is uh, obviously very different uh, stages and different appetites and different um, uh, political uh, regimes and, and stability in some of these markets. So it's, it's not as, as easy as going into a, a huge market like India, for example. Uh, and I think that that, um, that ability to uh, cut through the noise, uh, to reach global investors, to excite them about the African opportunity until now has been more challenging. But I do think, as you mentioned earlier, that is changing. There's a lot more interest than there has been before. You mentioned different political regimes and regulations and stuff like that. But and we're talking about the importance of banks um, and incumbents getting involved in the startup space. But how crucial are central banks and regulators? Um, what kind of role can they play in, in, in boosting local fintech ecosystems? And are, we, we are seeing some like sandboxes come into effect and things like that. I mean, is that a positive, positive development? I think very positive, yes. Um, we're seeing this across multiple markets. Latin America is the same, Asia is the same, where regulators are um, 
are, in my mind, have actually been really progressive uh, within this fintech context. Uh, they have been very open to collaborate, uh, to listen, to learn, uh, and really their objective is uh, to provide a safe environment uh, and to drive access to good quality financial services. And uh, it seems to me that the dialogue is moving along really nicely in most countries, where as long as uh, a business, whether it's a technology business or not, is showing that that's what they're trying to achieve in a transparent, fair manner, then there seems to be a lot of appetite for regulators to uh, to really adopt and try new things. We're seeing sandboxes in multiple countries. Um, and from my view and conversations I've had with regulators, uh, it, they really, really do, do seem to be coming to the party and being incredibly progressive. there and why he's so excited about the investment in CarryWise and the African fintech sector in general. After a record break in 2020 in terms of funding, African tech startups have picked up where they left off in 2021, with millions taken in so far by dozens of companies. Yet startups and startup ecosystems require more than just funding to thrive. Traditionally, when we think of accelerators, we think of the models applied by the likes of YC or 500 startups, connecting startups with small amounts of capital and mentors in order to encourage quick growth. Increasingly, though, corporate-backed or focused programs are becoming all the rage, helping startups develop and make the connections they need to scale in conjunction with bigger industry players. A leader in this respect is startup bootcamp Afritech, which is about to embark on its latest program. Gabriella caught up with CEO Philip Kirikoff to hear about how SBC's approach to acceleration is so different and so valuable. You recently announced the launch of the African Startup Initiative Program. Can you tell us more about the new program and about the partnership with Telesel? Sure. Uh, Startup Bootcamp Afrotech has been running on the African continent for uh, four years now, and our programs are backed by corporate partners. So the newest initiative is backed by Telesel, which is a large player, a large mobile operator uh, across many of the African countries. And uh, they've taken the bold initiative to uh, become the anchor partner for a new three-year accelerator program that will also be Pan-African. So we're looking forward to uh, bringing additional corporate partners into the consortium um, and building on the strength of the relationship with, uh, with Telesail across the continent. And what will the new program involve? All of our startup bootcamp accelerator programs are based on a similar model. Um, we scout the continent searching for startups that meet the certain parameters. Um, and then we select the 10 best companies that we find from among all the applicants. And then those 10 companies spend three months in the accelerator. So whereas traditionally uh, these accelerators have been physical, so we have a campus in Cape Town where we would bring the startups, uh, the 10 uh, founding teams to Cape Town for three months. Um, we are now offering these uh, online uh, through a remote program uh, that we call Accelerator Squared, um, where they get the full benefit of all of the content and all of the uh, interactions, um, but it's all done in an e-learning platform that's a proprietary um, app that we've developed. Um, and while the 
interactions and they have all the access to all the content via video sessions and you know quizzes and remote uh, work platforms. Um, they also have one-on-one sessions. They have all of the mentor engagements, um, meet the investors, uh, meeting corporate partners. So all of the same benefits that we had provided uh, to our startups uh, in the physical programs would still be available through Accelerator Squared. Um, they're just able to do it now um, through this remote platform. And you mentioned you're still looking for more corporate partners. Uh, what does that mean? What does that look like? Well, one of the key distinctions with Startup Bootcamp is that we bring multiple corporate partners together um, into a consortium uh, in order to support an accelerator program. So what that means for startups is that they benefit from having different uh, large uh, leading corporate innovators innovators on the continent uh, available to work with for pilot programs, for proof-of-concept projects. Um, and what it means for the corporate partners is that they get to leverage off of really the R&D efforts and uh, the institutional knowledge that other uh, leading players uh, typically, they're non-competitive, but they're in the same space. So uh, in Telesales case, because they're a mobile operator, they're really industry agnostic. Uh, and what that enables us to do is bring in um, specific industry verticals. So there could be a leading uh, agricultural uh, a corporate partner or a fintech player uh, or someone in the insurance industry um, where uh, the solutions that we find, the startups that we find, uh, might be developing solutions for a specific industry, um, but they're, of course, uh, mobile uh, in nature. Uh, and so then they would that startup would then benefit from the relationship with the industry player, the large channel partner, um, as well as from a mobile operator like Telesel. Can you take us through the model in more detail? How does the collaboration between the corporate partners and the startups work in practice? Well, it's it's really quite special in that Um, All the way, starting at the very beginning of the process, we sit with the corporate partners and we do a deep uh, discovery into what are the key challenge areas that they're facing, either internal to their organization or the challenges that their customers are facing. Um, Once we understand that, then we're able to identify kind of from, we do uh, what's called a disruptive analysis, where we're able to show them from a landscape perspective, what are the leading uh, disruptions that are happening in their uh, industry across the continent. So we then go out and we find the, the startups. So we spend three months scouting the, the whole continent, looking for startups that are that are solving for those specific challenges that we've identified in this process. Um, and by helping the corporates understand even better than they knew before what those challenges are and what the, what the solution could look like, um, then we're able to bring them a number, a wide variety of different startups that are solving different pieces of the puzzle. We then narrow that down, and there's 10 finalists that come into the program, and those 10 startups are companies that, that, that are specifically solving the challenges that are most uh, impactful for the corporate. Um, and now we're going to do three months while the, while the startup is going through our, pro- our, our program, learning to be better startups and learning lots of skills. Um, we're also doing very practical uh, experiments with the corporate partners. So we take the corporates through uh, an environment where they uh, they get to run a pilot, uh, which is to say uh, a two-week or a four-week test um, to see if the solution that the startup has actually solves the problem that they need. 
We then take the learning from that process, we iterate on it, we run a second pilot and a third pilot. And so we do this on a mul- on, throughout the course of the three-month accelerator. And by the conclusion of the accelerator at Demo Day, the startup is now able to stand on stage and do uh, showcase a solution that's, uh, a, that's specifically solving that corporate problem, but, but more, more broadly is solving an industry problem. Um, and from those, they're able to then launch out into more markets. They're able to spread geographically or go across different divisions. Um, so it's a very, we, we've de-risked the process for both the corporate and the startup of, of innovation. And what would you say are the key benefits to both sides? Well, for the startup, it's quite clear uh, in that they get the opportunity to validate that their solution really works in a real-world environment. So even if they've done um, demos before uh, or they've got a great solution, in most cases, um, they haven't done it at scale. So to be able to get a big named client behind them um, is is a huge uh, step forward. Um, It also, especially in Africa, what we find is that by having uh, corporate clients um, signing on, the startup is able to generate revenue, uh, which extends their runway, and it makes their fundraising efforts um, easier in two ways. First of all, they're able to demonstrate to investors that they have a viable business um, that, that's investable. Uh, and second of all, because they've now got revenue coming in, they're less desperate, uh, which puts them in a better negotiating position around terms. On the corporate side, um, it's hugely valuable uh, for them to be able to, as I mentioned uh, leverage off of our experience in in nailing down exactly what the challenge area is. Uh, But they're also able to take um, the the learnings that we've had of of many hundreds uh, of these types of experiments and help the corporate design better experiments. So the failure rate is much, much lower. Um, When they set out, we're helped them to calibrate their expectations um, and then also to put the pieces in place across their own internal organization so that they can uh, make best use of these pilots. And then finally, once we've identified successful pilots, once we help demonstrate for them what a successful pilot looks like, um, it's much easier for them, uh, for the corporate, to now go and, and finance a, a, a larger scale rollout. Um, they're, they're, they're taking uh, a much less risk uh, by investing in a company that they've already proven can, can solve this on a smaller scale. Full disclosure, are there downsides? Well, there's there's always downsides. I mean, it's not a hundred percent success rate. Um, but what we what we like to point out is that you know every experiment results in learning. Uh, so no matter what, you're going to learn something about the market. So the you know we we really describe the process as slaying assumptions. So uh, typically, what happens uh, with big corporates is they'll make a bet on a solution. Um, they'll go and they'll invest a significant amount of time and money and resources into developing something and they'll launch it into the marketplace and only at that point discover that it's not solving the problem. Um, uh, but they would have, they would have lost, uh, they would have spent a lot of money and time. Um, so this process means they still are failures, but the, the dollar figures, there's a lot fewer zeros behind it. Um, and typically it's happening much, much faster. So even when, you know, things that they think might work don't work out the way they, they ex- initially expected, um, there's invariably learnings that come out of it. Um, for the startups, of course, you know, the challenge is, is bigger. Um, if, if they run a pilot and it doesn't work out, you know, that, that can be quite, quite devastating. So uh, we 
try to uh, leverage that as much as possible or, or mitigate against that as much as possible throughout the selection process. Um, and just to give you some numbers, you know, the last time or the last uh, cycle of our accelerator uh, AfroTech program, uh, you know, we had 1,900 applications to get into the 10 spots. So it's, it is very selective, but it also means that by the time we've narrowed it down to those 10 companies in the program, um, there we, we really weeded out a, a large amount of the riskiness. Um, so the, the startups that are coming through tend to be uh, tend to have a very good chance of having successful engagements with the corporates. We've observed that, especially in Africa, a lot of accelerators seem to be going in this uh, direction of, of focusing on corporate partners and part, partnering with startups. Um, why do you think this is a more impactful model than traditional accelerator models? And do you think this trend is going to continue? Uh, we do think it's going to continue. Um, and w- the reasons that it's more, uh, I guess, impactful uh, or effective um, is is that we're de-risking it for, for both sides. So a corporate partner, as I mentioned earlier, uh, is, is, it's, it's a lot easier for them to take small steps. Um, and as we, as, as they get validation from each step of the journey, you know, then it's easier for them to, to invest in, in increasing the scale. Um, so, so the benefits for them are, are, are fairly obvious. Um, I think that what's what's been a real challenge is that a lot of corporates, when they think about accelerators, is they only think about it in the context of of investing, um, and they don't necessarily, you know, many corporates aren't in a position they don't have a mandate to be making equity investments. Um, but our model is actually set up quite specifically so that uh, corporates have the option to come in and and. Uh, only focus on the uh, on sponsoring or partnering with the commercial side, so they can come in and they can be part of the program um, without needing to be exposed to any of the equity uh, or the investment side. Uh, so they can just uh, purely benefit from the commercial, uh, the pilots and the commercial agreements that come out of it, and all of those learnings. Um, there are corporates that have corporate VC arms, um, and that's probably the next evolution. And so for those corporates, uh, they can also choose to participate from an equity perspective. So Telesell, for example, um, is not only going to be on the commercial side, but they're also taking equity stakes in the in the startup companies. Do you think there's anything in particular which either corporates or startups in Africa need to change in their attitude and way of thinking and way of doing things um, to make collaboration more possible and more prevalent? Sure. Well, most corporates, you know, are 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 big machines, um, and there's a lot of efficiency. Sorry, there's a lot of inefficiency that results from the processes that are in place. Um, so, you know, one example we like to share is that in the first when we, when we did the AfroTech program, um, we went in with our corporate partners, and when we identified what the onboarding process was for a new SME to 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 work with within the corporate environment. Um, if you added up all of the different divisions and departments that had to sign off, you know, from legal to HR to finance to accounting, uh, IT, uh, et cetera, even like the you know, security to get into the building, um, you know, the, the onboarding process typically took up to nine months. Uh, so if you think about, you know, you are setting out to, to, to work with the agile, nimble, lean startups, um, and you say it's going to be nine months before we can actually get something going with you or we can pay you. 
um, that's a non-starter right from the outset. Uh, so what we are able to, what we're seeing now is that the, the really innovative corporate partners are able to, um, have able to substantially streamline those processes. And that's something that, that we help them do. Um, but we're also just seeing that as a general trend. Uh, and what that enables is uh, corporate partners to, to take on these these more lean and agile startups, um, work with them on, on more kind of bite-sized projects, um, and then as they see uh, as they see the traction and the validation, um, then they've got the mandate to to expand on those commitments and those those uh, those relationships and and or investments. In general, do we see enough corporate startup collaboration in Africa? And uh, obviously, you've been around for years now in the market. Do you see it changing? Well, COVID's been a really interesting. Uh, <laughs> wake-up call for everybody. So for years, we would start, uh, you know, most of our engagements with with corporates on the, on the business development side and the sales side, you know, by trying to convince them that their industry was at risk of disruption, um, that there was all these players out there that were, you know, potentially going to, you know, eat their lunch, you know, down years down the line. Uh, and the general reaction was, you know, academically, we get it, you know, in principle, we understand it. But in, in, in day-to-day terms, you know, it, this is not impacting us. So, yes, we think innovation is something we should, we should play around with. Um, but in terms of investing and, and committing real, real money and real time and resources, you know, it's just not a priority for us. Uh, what COVID has done is, is wiped out that, that arrogance. Um, and many large corporates have seen, you know, anywhere from 25 to 75% of their revenue evaporate. Um, uh, and, and this is across a wide range of industries. So now these corporates are in a situation where they are suddenly on the back foot and they're humbly realizing that uh, they don't have the luxury of sitting around and waiting for business to come back that, that, you know, at the, everything that they were doing before um, the products that they were offering, the services, the business models um, is not going to get them back to the label the, the, to where they were, um, you know, within the next several years, if, if, if ever, if ever. Uh, so what that's necessitated is it, is that every corporate now at the, at the chair you know, the CEO level, the board level, the top executive level, their mandate is, find new, interesting, innovative ways to uh, execute, uh, to, to serve their customers or to find new customers, um, to enhance their existing products or to find new products, um, or to pivot their business models. So now that it's a, it's a pull model, corporates are coming to us saying, how do, we, how do we engage with startups? We know that we have to do startups. Um, we know that we have to, to be more lean and agile like startups. You know, what do we do? What are the, what are the, what are the opportunities um, that you have that, that can connect us? So, you know, we're really excited. I mean, this is a, this is a tidal shift. Uh, 2020 was, was a, a banner year for, for startups. I mean, even in Africa, uh, some of our alumni, you know, had, had absolutely extraordinary results. Um, and, you know, we're, we're very excited now that our corporate partners are really looking uh, in, a, in a much more meaningful way t- towards, towards those engagements. It's, it's, it's no longer just, you know, a paper or a PR exercise for them. So your advice today is for any corporate that's uh, been feeling the impact of COVID, they should get in touch with you as soon as possible about your new program, right? <laughs> Absolutely. Um, no, yeah, we're, we're very um, – we – we're very excited to be able to chat with corporate partners around uh, around the opportunities for for this program and and really just to demonstrate how how low the risk is um, and how how 
you know, light the commitment can be um, from a financial perspective um, and still pr provide them a significant return on investment um, uh, through uh, commercial results uh, as well as potential uh, investments if, if that's the direction they want to go. All right, Philip, it's been great to chat. Thanks for joining us. Thank you very much. So I really appreciate the opportunity to, to speak to you and your audience. Hello everyone, my name is Adetola Neko. I'm a co-founder of Vibe, a dating service designed to help Africans make true connections, online trial and mobile apps, and offline trial events and meetup sessions. My co-founders and I decided to build Vibe after we noticed most Africans have access to less than 40% of the top dating platforms in the world, meaning you can't even download the apps or visit the websites. We also noticed that a lot of the existing platforms don't really cater to the peculiarities of dating and matchmaking in Africa, and so we decided to solve the problem. We currently have over 13,000 users cut across 67 countries, and we've made over 50,000 matches since our beta launch. We're part of the UI Coordinator W20 finalists, and we've gone through the Forbes Digital Accelerator. We're currently looking for founder-friendly investors for our pre-seed round and looking for great partners to work with on expansion. Please send an email to echo at appvibe.com. That's it for this episode of Disrupt Podcast. We hope you enjoyed it. Please remember to let all your friends and colleagues know that they can listen to the podcast on any of their favorite podcasting platforms. Remember, you can still get your hands on your free copy of the African Tech Startups Funding Report 2020. All the details are on our website. Disrupt Podcast will be back with another episode in two weeks' time. Bye for now. Bye.